Let us continue to prepare our hearts for the sermon using Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 11. Hebrews 4, verses 1 through 11. Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear, lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For, indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. For we who have believed to do enter that rest, as he said, so I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has spoken in a certain place to the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Since, therefore, it remains that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience, again, he designates a certain day, saying in David, Today, after such a long time as it has been said, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another, of another day. Therefore, please, there remains therefore a rest for the people of God. For he who has entered this rest has himself also ceased from his works, as God did from, from his let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest, lest anyone fall according to the same example of disobedience. Let us now read our sermon text. Matthew 11, verses 25 through 30. I will read from verse 20 to help us, to give us a bit of the context too. So, Matthew 11, I start reading from verse 20. Then he began to rebuke the cities in which most of his mighty works had been done, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Kohazan! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I say to you, it would be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon in the day of judgment than for you. 
and you, Capernaum, who are exalted to heaven, will be brought down to Hades. For if the mighty works which were done in you had been done in Sodom, it would have remained until this day. But I say to you that it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus answered and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and prudent and have revealed them to babes. Even so, Father, for it seemed good in your sight. All things have been delivered to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and the one to whom the Son wills to reveal him. Come to me, all you will labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I will be quoting some passages during the sermon. Uh, unfortunately, those passages are from the ESV version. Yeah, no, not the New King James. Dear congregation of the Lord, what is God's testimony about the history of humanity? Scripture says that God created us upright and in his image and likeness. But we have sought out many schemes. We disobeyed God by listening to the snake, the devil. Since then, rest has vanished as we became perpetual fugitives running away from God. But our merciful God promised to send the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the snake. To accomplish his promise, God saved Noah from the flood. Then he called from the heathens a descendant of Noah, Abram. Then he made of Abram a nation, Israel. But Israel became enslaved in Egypt. God intervened again, delivering the Israelites, the church, from Pharaoh's mighty claws. The goal was to give them rest in Canaan, to give them a place to be free to worship God without fear, in complete consecration to him. So God appointed Joshua to conquer the land of Canaan for the church. Unfortunately, once in Canaan, what did the church do? The church betrayed God and turned to idols. 
God therefore allowed other nations to enslave Israel. But whenever they turned and cried out to God, he delivered them from their oppressors, bringing them back even from Babylon. When the fullness of times had come, God sent his son to deliver the nation from their rebellious inclinations. But they kept opposing and persecuting him. After one of the multiple episodes of opposition and persecution, Jesus pronounced a series of woes on those who disdain God. Then he turned to the Father in praise, as we just read. Jesus, as the ultimate Joshua, renewed then God's invitation to his listeners. He graciously invited them to come to him and find a cure for their rebellious tendencies and restlessness. That precious invitation is the object of our sermon today. Therefore, it is my privilege to proclaim to you Christ's gospel using the following theme. The sovereign Lord invites us to find rest in him. The sovereign Lord invites us to find rest in him. Because the Father wills such a rest, the Son is the only way to such a rest, the Son is the best possible shepherd. The Father wills such a rest, the Son is the only way to such a rest, the Son is the best possible shepherd. Our first point, the Father wills such a rest. Scripture says that no one has ever endured opposition from sinners as the Lord Jesus Christ himself. We sometimes feel very frustrated and disappointed when people oppose us. Imagine how the Lord could have felt. He was misunderstood by all, opposed by the people, the very people he made and sustained the very people he came to save, to deliver from their sin. How did Jesus react in front of such an opposition? Did he just break down in self-pity? Did he just quit in anger? No. Jesus praised the Father as we read in our, te- as we read in our text. How do we know that he was praising the Father. The word translated, I thank you, also means I praise you. Further, verses 25 and 26 are an open, public, joyful confession of the Father's works. And how do we call such public, joyful confessions of God's works? We call them praises. Jesus, when harassed on every side by haters, resorts to praises. Jesus is strong. He is a champion on whose team we all want to be. Let us examine the content of Jesus' praise. What does Jesus say? He addresses God as his Father, Lord of heaven and earth. He confesses that God the Father is the gracious master of providence 
who has everything under control, even the fierce opposition that Jesus faces. Jesus thanks the Father. Why? Because the Father has hidden, concealed, and closed the knowledge of salvation from the wise and understanding of this world. Who are the wise and understanding? In Jesus' times, there were the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes, and all the self-righteous Jews. Translated to today, they are the great of this world, the university people, the powerful, the famous who think that they are master of their own destiny. In brief, the wise and understanding are those wise enough in their own eyes to despise Jesus Christ. While God has hidden salvation from the great ones of this world, he has revealed it to other people. Who are those people? Those are the little children. Who are the little children? In Jesus' time, there were the unsophisticated Galileans, tax collectors, prostitutes, and all those who realized that the Jewish legalist system was bankrupt and that they needed a true savior. Translated to today, the little children are those conscientious of their spiritual poverty and of their need for salvation. They do not think, oh, I am good enough, or I can save myself. No, those people, the little children, believe in Jesus' gospel, Jesus' good news. This concealment to some and revealing to others was God's plan. He wanted to ensure everyone understood that we are saved by grace alone, through faith, and that this is not a work of our own doing, but a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29, please, 1 Corinthians 1, verses 26-29, teaches something similar. There we read, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low, despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Suppose God were calling many PhDs, the millionaires, the superstars. We would have easily concluded that fame and human greatness are criteria for entering the kingdom. But God is wise. He does not play three ditches. He plays million ditches. 
In his wisdom, God does not want human pride to cloud his glory. Thus, he calls the slave, the worthless, the little guys, the deplorable. Not that being a deplorable or a little guy makes one automatically humble. In fact, many deplorables are also very proud. But when most believers are deplorable, it is easier to see that God's salvation is a demerited favor, something we can never earn. Jesus continues his praise in verse 26. He says, Indeed, indeed Father, this is your desire, and it is glorious. Jesus does not give any other explanation except that it is the Father's will. Why does Jesus stop at the Father's will? We are usually unsatisfied with this kind of answer. We don't like to hear, because it is the will of God. No, we don't like that. Thus, we ask in protest, why is salvation by grace alone? Why is God sovereign in calling people to faith? Why can't I decide? Why has God decided that salvation must be through the atoning sacrifice of his son? Why, why, why? Because it is God's sovereign, gracious, and goodwill. There is no higher authority. Therefore, there cannot be any deeper reason. God is the deepest possible reason. Dear congregation, do we rejoice in God's sovereignty like Jesus? Or do we run away from it? Let us pray to God that he may renew our minds and affections with his word and spirit to the point that we, like Jesus, start rejoicing in his sovereign will. Only then, dear people, we will be able to find true rest in God. In a nutshell, what have we seen so far? Verses 25 and 26 teach us that the entire world opposes Jesus. But Jesus does not fold in self-pity. He does not quit in anger. No, he turns to grateful and joyful praises to the Father. His praise centered around God's gracious, wise, and sovereign will. On the one hand, God calls those who acknowledge their spiritual poverty. On the other hand, he rejects the self-righteous. We also learned that like Christ, we should rejoice in God's sovereign will. Because embracing God's will is the beginning of our rest in him. But Jesus' speech continues. Jesus moves suddenly from praising the Father to praising himself. Why does he do that? What does he say? Is that even godly? 
Let us see the answers to these questions in our second point. The Son is the only way to the Father. Yes, Jesus moves directly from praising the Father to praising himself. He says, All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Is that not great pride? No. For us, it will be tremendous pride. But Jesus is equal with the Father. Jesus is the eternal, natural Son of God, as the Catechism teaches. While we are children of God by adoption for Christ's sake. Let us continue in our text. Do you remember that Jesus referred to the Father as Lord of heaven and earth in verse 25? There, Jesus praised the Father's absolute power and authority over creation and providence. Now, Jesus ascribes to himself the same power and authority that he ascribed to the Father. Why does Jesus praise himself? Jesus does so to introduce his special relationship with the Father. No one knows the Son inside out as the Father knows. What do we derive from this information? We understand we cannot know Jesus outside of what the Father says about him. Sure, Jesus is God, and as such, we can partly know his greatness, his supremacy through his creation. But what about his loving kindness? What about his gospel of salvation? We learn those things only in Scripture, in the Old and the New Testament. The Father used the Spirit in the Old Testament to announce the Son and His works. The Spirit in the Old Testament gave prophetic utterances, types, and shadows. Then in the New Testament, the Father sent the Son, Jesus Himself. The Father confirmed Jesus' Sonship through public declaration, such as at His baptism and transfiguration. Therefore, Whoever wants to know the Son and enter into his rest must seek to understand scriptures. Whoever rejects the authority of scripture shows that he knows neither the Son nor his rest. Jesus continues saying that no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Only Jesus knows the Father also inside out. Jesus is the unique image of the Father to us. Just like the Father in his wisdom calls whomever he wills, the Son reveals the Father to whomever the Son wills. 
What does the Holy Spirit want us to understand from Jesus' statement? The Holy Spirit teaches us that Jesus is God, the one calling people and giving them rest. Jesus calls and we come, not the reverse. As scriptures say, we love him because he first loved us. And again, I will have mercy upon whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion upon whom I will have compassion. Next, the Holy Spirit also teaches us that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. Whosoever truly fears God embraces Christ as he is. The God-man, the eternal, natural Son of God. And whosoever does not embrace Christ as the God-man does not fear God. Thus, Muslims and all those who think that Jesus was only a prophet are perishing. It is black and white. There is no middle ground. Embrace Christ as he is and you shall have eternal rest or Reject the scripture's testimony and have eternal trouble. In summary, verse 27 teaches us that Jesus moves from praising the Father to praising himself because he is God, because he has a special relationship with the Father. As a result of that special relationship, Jesus is the only way to the Father, Jesus is the one who calls people to himself. And there is no possibility of knowing Jesus outside of the scriptures. After praising the Father and himself, Jesus extends a powerful invitation. Let us see that invitation in our third and final point. The son is the best possible shepherd. One question we did not answer at the beginning is this. Why does Jesus praise God aloud in public? Of course, Jesus is praising to answer the opposition he's facing. But could Jesus not have done so in his private prayer time? Thus, we understand that the praise is also for the sake of those around him, his disciples. This public praise has a similar purpose to Jesus' prayer at Lazarus' resurrection in John 11. There, Jesus said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I knew that you always hear me. But I say this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. Thus, we understand that the goal of Jesus' praise is also the invitation that he wants to make to his disciples. While others reject Jesus' teaching, Jesus, in great love, turns to his disciples and invite them to receive eternal life, to receive true rest in him.
What does Jesus say? Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who are those who labor and are heavy laden in our text? Those are the children we spoke about in the first point. Those burdened by their sins. The Holy Spirit has opened their eyes and they realize that they cannot save themselves. They see through the pharisaical legalism and they know that they need a true savior. Jesus, in turn, promises, promises to give them rest. What is that rest? It is freedom from sin's dominion, freedom from the fear of eternal condemnation. God's deliverance of the church from Egypt was a picture of what Christ will do. That is, deliver the church from the dominion of sin. Joshua's entrance into Canaan was also a picture, a shadow of what Christ will do, that is, bringing the church back into paradise. Canaan was supposed to be a resting place for God's people. Unfortunately, Joshua died without conquering all the land. Joshua was just a man. He could not drive idolatry from the genes of God's people. But now Christ, the real and divine Joshua, calls the church to come to him. He can reprogram our DNA to put an end to sin. He can change our hearts of stones into hearts of flesh. He can make us new creatures. And the work that he has done is perfect. It does not need any other improvement. It is once for all. Jesus has already delivered the church from the dominion of sin. Once he comes back, he will deliver us also from the very presence of sin. Next, Jesus calls his disciples to take his yoke upon them and to learn from him. What are, what are that yoke and that learning of our text? The yoke and the learning represent the same thing. That is discipleship. Jesus says, be my disciples. Embrace my gospel in true faith. And I will save you. Why should people embrace Jesus' gospel? Because of his character. He is gentle and lowly in heart. What does this mean? It means that Jesus is mild, humble, compassionate, and able to sympathize with our weaknesses. Despite his exalted position, he accepted to take our flesh upon himself, to experience our plight, and to become our merciful great high priest. 
Jesus is not a slave driver like Pharaoh, the Jewish religious leaders, like our idols. He is a kind shepherd who leads us in green pastures beside still waters and restores our souls. Jesus is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. As someone said, Jesus is the good shepherd who drank the cup of God's wrath to make our cup of blessings overflow. In verse 30 of our text, Jesus calls the church to come to him because his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Again, here, burden and yoke are parallel to burden and learning. Burden and yoke, therefore, represent the same thing again, discipleship. To be a disciple of Jesus, we know, is an impossible task because Jesus requires perfection. Jesus says, you therefore must be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. How then can Jesus' yoke be easy and his burden light? Because Jesus laid down his life to fulfill those requirements for all of us. All those who truly embrace Jesus become united to Christ. As a result, God puts Jesus' merit to their account. God gives them his spirit who continuously works in their heart with the word. As a result of the spirit's work, peace, rest, and assurance of salvation replace fear of condemnation. The knowledge of forgiveness replaces the burden of guilt and sin. And slavery to righteousness replaces slavery to sin. Yes, Christ accomplished for us the perfect works that we could never accomplish. That's why we must hearken his invitation. That's why we must embrace his invitation. Conclusion. What is the sum? What is the summary of what the Holy Spirit teaches us this morning? The Holy Spirit reminds us of Christ's invitation to turn to him for salvation, for true rest. Christ's invitation has three sections. In the first section, Christ rejoices at the great wisdom of the Father in sovereignly calling to him the deplorables, those that he has enabled to be conscientious of their spiritual poverty. In the second section, Jesus presents himself as the only one who can make us know the Father in detail. From such a presentation, we learned that true religion, the true fear of God, is always centered on the scripture's testimony about Christ. Finally, in the third section, we saw Christ as the best possible shepherd, the one who laid down his life for us to make his yoke easy and his burden light. 
Now, I would like to close by rehearsing to us Jesus' invitation. Do we realize how spiritually poor we are? Do we feel the burden of guilt because of the multitude of our transgressions? Have we tried in vain to please God in our own strength? Then let us turn to Christ, the perfect shepherd. Let us pray to him and ask him to give us that true rest he promised. He is our only hope. And in his infinite mercy and compassion, he will not cast away anyone who comes to him. Amen. Let us pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, you are high and lifted up. None can be compared to you. The psalmist could say in Psalm 8, your name is higher than the heavens. Out of the mouths of very babes and sucklings, you have ordained praise that you might steal the enemy and the avenger. When we consider your heavens, even the works of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have ordained. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? Who are we, O oh Lord, that you are mindful of us? Who are we that you have called us to be your covenant people? Who are we that you have allowed us to hear your gospel of salvation and that you have inclined our hearts to turn to you? Oh Lord God, you have been so gracious, so compassionate toward us. Lord, unfortunately, we are still in this body of flesh that has not yet been redeemed. We still contend against our indwelling sins, against the devil, against the system of this world. And we confess that we are regularly enticed. We regularly become so proud that we trust in our own understanding, that we want to rely on ourselves, on our own good works to merit your salvation. When we sin, we compare ourselves to those who are apparently at least more sinful than us instead of turning to you. Lord, we know that without you, we cannot persevere in the faith. We know that without you, we cannot win the battle against our flesh, against the system of this world and the devil. And so we thank you for your great invitation. We thank you for the invitation to come to you and to receive true rest. Lord, please continuously work in our hearts. Open our eyes more and more according to your great wisdom to our sinfulness. 
not for us to be to fall into despair, but on the contrary, for your Holy Spirit to induce us to cling to your Son Jesus Christ more and more and to embrace, to grasp with a stronger hand the invitation that He gives to us to come and find rest in Him. Lord, please continuously renew our minds by your word that we be not conformed to the system of this world and that we may realize day after day, moment after moment, that Jesus is our only hope, our only shepherd, the only one through whom we are saved. Work in our hearts, O Lord, and keep us close to you. Give us the power that we need to triumph. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray.